Hello, and welcome to the opening of my new series. But I got one thing right. You I got one thing right. pain. Get those patient while I change. Never even crossed your mind to walk away. When I was getting crazy. No DJ Awesome News. Hey guys, guess what?
You can't guess? Well, either way, you're going to see it. This is it. This is it. The time you have been waiting for. My second, my actually my first episode of the school year. Guess why? It's a blizzard outside. School's likely going to be closed tomorrow. And you know why? Yeah, that's right. Lock it up. We are reading Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows. Sorry, but if you haven't read all the Harry Potter books, I suggest you turn away now. Because this is the seventh book. I'm going backwards. So I suggest you just move your butt away from this podcast. You can listen to any of the others except this recording. So, see you later. Hey guys! And I think you can know what we're about to do. Let's get into it. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows. <coughs> By J.K. Rowling. This dedication of this book is split seven ways. To Neil, to Jessica, to David, to Kenzie, to Dee, to Anna, and to you. We stuck with Harry Potter. Until the very end. Again, this is a poem, it looks like. Oh, the torment breed in the race. The grinding scream of death. And that's the stroke that hits the vein. The hemorrhage. Nungan's thoughts. The grief. The curse. No man can bear. But there's cure in this house. In the house... And not outside it. No. Not from the Edders. But from them. Their bloody strife. We sing to you. Death is crossing these worlds as friends do the seas. Okay, that's enough of that. Let's just get chapter one. The Dark Lord Ascending. Two men appeared out of nowhere. A few years apart from a narrow moonlit lane. First, for a second, they stood quite still. Wands directed at each other's chest, then recognizing each other. They stole their wands beneath their cloaks and started walking briskly in the same direction. 
news? Asked the taller two. The taller of the two. The best, replied Severus Snape. The lane was boarded and left by Wild. Low growing brambles with low growing bambles, brambles. Low growing. Where was that? Ah, here we go. Low growing brambles on the right by a high, neatly manicured hedge. The men's long cloaks flapped around their ankles as they marched. Then it might be late, said the oxling. His blunt features sliding in and out of sight as branches of hanging overhanging trees. Broken out of sight when branches of overhanging trees broke into the moonlight. It was a little trickier than I expected, but I hope you will be satisfied. You sound confident that your reception will be good. Snape nodded, but did not elaborate. They turned right into a wide driveway that led off the lane. The high hedge curved with them, running off into the distance beyond the pair of impressive wrought iron gates, bearing the men's way. Neither of them broke step in silence, raised their left arms in a kind of salute, and passed straight through as the dark metal wore smoke. The yew had just muffled the sound of men's footsteps. There was a rustle somewhere to the right. Yaxley drew his wand, again pointing it over his companion's head. The square source of the noise pointed to be nothing more than pure white peacock streaming majestically along the top of the hedge. That's it. Right there. Peacock. He always did himself well. Lucius Peacocks. Yaxley thrust his wand back under his coat with a snarl. Handsome manor house grew out of the darkness at the end of the straight drive. Lights gleaming in the diamond pan downstairs windows. Somewhere in the dark garden beyond the hedge, a fan was playing. A fountain was playing. A fountain was playing. Gravel cracked beneath their feet as Snape and Yaxley sped towards the front door, which swung inwards at their approach. Then nobody had visibly opened it. The hallways were large, dimly lit, and some scrumptiously decorated. Eyes of the pale-faced portraits on the walls followed Snape as Yaxley as they strode past. The two men halted at a heavy wooden door leading into the next room, hesitated for the space of the heartbeat. The snake turned the bronze handle. The drawing room was full of silent people, sitting at a long carousel, sitting on a long and ornament table. The room's usual furniture had been pushed carelessly up against the wall. Illumination came from a roaring fire beneath the handsome marble mantelpiece, surmounted, surmounted by a gilded mirror. Snape and Yaxley lingered for a moment on the threshold. As I grew accustomed to the lack of light, they were drawn upwards to the strangest feature of the scene. Apparently unconscious human figure hanging upside down over and reflected in the mirror in the bare polished surface of the table below. None of the people seated underneath the singular directly below it. He seemed unable to prevent himself from glancing upwards every minute or so. Yaxley 
yak slave, Snape, said a high, clear voice from the head of the table. You are very nearly late. The speaker was thrilled to sit in the seat directly in front of the fireplace, so that it was difficult at first for the new rock to make out his silhouette. As he drew nearer, however, his face shone through the gloom. Hellless, snake-like with slits for nostrils and gleaming red eyes. His pupils were vertical. He was so pale, pale, he seemed to emit a pearly growth. Below. Severus here, said Voldemort, indicating the gentleman from the immediate right. Yaxley, beside Dolohov. The two men took their load of places. Most of the eyes around the table followed Snape. It was to him that Voldemort spoke first. So, my lord, the Order of the Phoenix intends to move Harry Potter from his current place on, of safety on Saturday next. On Saturday. Next at nightfall. The next Saturday after this Saturday. The interest around the table sharpened palpably. Some stiffened, others fidgeted, all gazing at Snape and Voldemort. Saturday nightfall! Guys, it just fell in the place. Oh, here we go. The interest around the table is sharper. Probably some stiffened, other stiffened, all gazing at sleep. Voldemort. Saturday at nightfall, repeated Voldemort. His red eyes, eyes fastened upon Snape's black ones with such intensity that some would be scorched by the ferocity of the gaze. Snape, however, looked calmly back into Voldemort's face, and after a moment or two, Voldemort's lipless mouth curved into something like a smile. Good. Very good. And this information comes from the source we discussed it, said Snape. My lord. Baxley had leaned forward to look down the long table at Voldemort and Snape. Both faces turned to him. My lord, I have heard differently. Baxley went, but Voldemort did not speak. So he went on dullish the or let slip that Potter will not be moved until the 13th night before the boy turned 17. Snape was smiling. My source told me there are plans to lay Bell's trail. This must be it. No doubt a confinement charm. It has been placed upon dullish. Well, it would not be the first time he's known to be successful. I assure you, my lord, dullish seemed quite certain, said Yaxley. He has been confounded. Naturally, he is certain. Said Snape. I assure you, Yaxley, the Or Office will pay play. No. Further part on the protection of Harry Potter. The Order believes that we have infiltrated the Ministry. Order's got one thing right then, eh? Said a spot man sitting a short distance away from Yaxley. He gave a wheezy gale. Can you please be quiet? <sighs> Sorry guys, just my cousin. Gave a wheezy giggle and was echoed there along the table. Voldemort did not laugh. His gaze has wandered upwards. 
to the body revolving slowly overhead. He seemed to be lost in thought. My lord, Yaxley went on. Dolish believes an entire body of auras will be used to transfer the boy. Voldemort held up a large white hand, and Yaxley subsided. At Voldemort held up a large white handed, and Yaxley subsided at once. Watching resentfully as Voldemort, Voldemort, he who must not be named, turned back to Snape. At once, watching resentfully as Voldemort turned back to Snape. Where are they going to hide the boy next? At the home of one of the orders, said the Snape. The place, according to the source, had been given every protection the Order of Ministry together could provide. I think that there is little chance of taking him once he is there, my lord. Unless, of course, the Ministry has fallen before next Saturday, which might give us enchantments to break through the rest. Well, Yaxley, Voldemort called down the table, the firelight glinting strangely in red eyes. Will the ministry have fallen by next Saturday? Once again, all heads turned to Yaxley, sword soldiers. My lord, I have good news on that score. I have with difficulty, and after great effort of succeeding on planning, and the imperious curse upon plus thickness, many of those sitting around Yaxley looked impressed. His neighbor, Jollohal, the man with a long, twisted face, clapped him on the back. At the start, said Voldemort, but thickness is only one man. Scrimger must be surrounded by people before I act. One failed attempt on the minister's knife will set me back a long way. Yes, my lord, that is true. But as you know, the head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement, Thicknix has regular contact, not only with the minister himself, but also with all the heads of the other ministry departments. It will, I think, be easy now that we have such a high-ranking official under our control to subject the others. And they can all work together to bring scrim scrimger down. As long as our friend's thickness is not discovered before he has converted the rest, said Voldemort. At any rate, it, it remains unlikely that the ministry will be mine before next Saturday. If we cannot touch the boy at the destination, then it must be definitely traveled. We are out of adventures there, my lord, said Yaxley, who seemed determined to receive some portion of approval. We now have several people planted with the Department of Magical Transport. Potter operates or uses a flume transport. We shall know immediately. He will not do either, said Snape. The order is chewing any form of transport that is controlled regulated by the Ministry. They mistrust everything we do with the place. All is better, said Voldemort. We'll have to move in the open. Easier to take by far. Again, Voldemort looked up at the slowly revolving body. As you went on, I shall attempt the boy in person. There have been too many mistakes where Harry Potter is concerned. Some of them have been my own. That Potter lot lives is due more to my era than his to his trumpets. Triumphs. The company rounded around the table watched Voldemort apprehensively. Each of them, by his or her expression, afraid that they might be blamed for Harry Potter's continued existence. Voldemort, however, seemed to be speaking more to himself than any of them, still dressing the unconscious body above him. I've been careless, so I've been thwarted by luck and chance. Those records of all, but the best laid plans, I know, 
better now. I understand these things that I did not understand before. I must be the one to kill Harry Potter. And I shall be. At these words seemingly in response to them, a sudden wail sounded in a terrible dawn of cry, misery, and pain. Many of those at the table looked up, startled, for the sound had seemed to issue from below their feet. Wormtail, said Voldemort, with no change in his pellet, thoughtful tone, and without removing his eyes from the revolving body above, have I not spoken to you to about, about keeping our prisoner quiet? Yes, my lord, gasped the small man halfway down the table, who had been sitting so low in his chair that it had appeared at first glance to be unoccupied. Now he scrambled from his seat and scurried from the room. Nothing behind but a curious gleam of silver. silver. As it was saying, continued Voldemort, looking again at ten pieces of his followers, understand better now. I shall need, for instance, to borrow one from one of you before I go to kill Potter. The pieces around him displayed nothing but shock. He might have announced that he wanted to borrow one of their arms. No volunteers, said Voldemort. Let's see, Lucius, I see no reason for you to have the wand anymore. Lucius Malfoy looked up. His skin appeared yellowish and waxy in the firelight, and his eyes were sunken and shadowed. When he spoke, his voice was hoarse. My lord, your wand, Lucius. I require your wand. I... Malfoy glanced sideways at his wife. So he was staying straight at her back. Straight down her back. Her slim fingers closed briefly on his wrist. At her touch, Voldemort's hands into his ropes, drew one and passed it along to Voldemort. Now held up in front of his red eyes, examining it. What is it? Oh, my lord, whispered Malfoy in the core. Dragon. Dragon heartstring. Dragon heartstring. Said Voldemort. He drew out his own wand during a pair of blanks. Lucius Malfoy made an involuntary movement. For a fraction of a second, he seemed heavily expected to receive Voldemort's wand in exchange for a gnome. Jester was not missed by Voldemort, whose eyes wilted mis malice. Like, give you my wand, Lucius? My wand? Some of the strong. Some of the bleep sniggered. I mean, some of the throngs snickered. I've given you your liberty, Lucius. Is that not enough for you? But I've noticed you and your family seem less happy of late. It's about what is it about my presence? Your my presence in your home that displeases you, Lucius. Nothing, nothing, my lord. Such lies, Lucius. The soft voice seemed to hiss. And even after the cruel mouth had stopped moving. One. One. One or two of the wizards barely repressed. Repressed. A shudder as the hissing grew louder. Something heavy could be heard sliding across the floor beneath the table. 
The huge snake emerged to climb up slowly up Voldemort's chair. It rose seemingly endless. It rose seemingly endless and came to rest across Voldemort's shoulders. Its neck and thickness of a man's thigh, its eyes with their vertical slits, were pupils unblinking. Voldemort struck the creature with absolutely long, thin fingers, still looking at Lucius Malfoy. Why do the Malfoys look so unhappy with their lot? Is it my return for my rise to power? Not the very thing that they proposed to desire for so many years? Of course, my lord. Of course, my lord. Of course, my lord. Of course, of course, my lord. Of course, my lord. Of course, my lord. Lord, said Lucius Malfoy. His hand shook as he wiped sweat from his upper lip. We did desire it. We do. To Malfoy's left. To Malfoy's left is where we left off so far. I'm going to continue. To Malfoy's left, his wife made an odd stiff nod. Her eyes averted from Voldemort's instinct. To his right, his son, Draco, who had been gazing up at the inert body over her head, glanced quickly at Voldemort and then away again, terrified to make eye contact. My lord, to the dark woman halfway down the table, her voice constricted with emotion. It's an honor to have you here, in our family's house. There can be no higher pleasure. She sat beside her sister. It was unlike in her looks with her dark hair and heavily lit eyes. She was embarrassing with demeanor. When Narcissa sat rigid and impassive, Bellatrix leaned toward Voldemort. He who must not be named. He who must not be named. My lord knows. My lord knows I speak nothing but the truth. No higher pleasure in compared with the happy event that I hear has taken place in your family this week. She stared at him. Left part evidently confused. I'm talking about your niece, Bellatrix, and yours, Lucius, Nurse and Narcessa. She has just married the werewolf, Remus Lupin. You must be so proud. There was an eruption of jarring laughter from around the table. Many leaned forward to exchange gleeful looks. A few disturbance opened his mouth wide and hissed angrily, but the Death Eaters did not hear it. So jubilant, they were at Bellatrix and Malfoy's humiliation. Bellatrix's face, though recently flushed with happiness, she turned ugly, blotchy red. <sighs> she is no niece of ours, my lord. She cried out over, out, pouring a mirth. We Narciss and I have never set eyes on our sisters since she married the Mudblood. 
That bird has nothing to do with either of us. Not any beast she marries. It carried carefully, clearly through the cattails and jeers. Will you babysit the cubs? They hit the mountain. Draco Malfoy looked up in terror at his mother's eye. She shook her head almost in impersibility. Then resumed her own deadpan stare at the opposite wall. Enough, said Voldemort, snorting the English snake. Enough, and the laughter died once. Many of the oldest family trees become a little disease over time, he said, and Bellatrix gazed at him, breathlessly and imploring. You must prune yours. Gadrom was on the chapter. Must you not to keep it healthy. Cut away those parts and threaten the health of your of the rest. Yes, my lord, whispered Bellatrix, and her eyes swam with gratitude again. At first chance, you shall have it, said Voldemort, and in your family, so in the world, you shall cut away the cranker that infects us until only one of those true blood remain. Voldemort raised Lucius Malfoy's wand, pointed directly at the slowly revolving figure suspended, suspended over the table, and gave it a tiny flick. The finger came to life with a groan and began to struggle against invisible bonds. Do you not recognize our guest, Severus? asked Voldemort. Snape raised his eyes to the upside-down face. All the Death Eaters were looking at the captain now, as though they had been given permission to show curiosity. As she revolved to her face, the firelight, the woman said in a cracked and terrified voice, Severus, help me! Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, said Snape. The prisoner turned slowly away again. You, Draco, asked Voldemort, striking the snake's snout the wand with his wand-free hand. Draco shook his head jerkily. Now that the woman had woken, he seemed unable to look at her anymore. But you would not take an but would you not have taken our classes? said Voldemort. For those of you who do not know, we are joined here by Charity Burbage, who until recently taught at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. There were small noises of comprehensions around the table. A broad huntsman with pointed teeth crackled. Yes, Professor Burbage taught the children and witches and, winds of, and wizards about all about muggles. They are not so different from us. Us. One of the Death Eaters spat on the floor. Charity Burbage evolved to face Snape again. Severus, please, please. Silence said Voldemort with another twitch of Malfoy's wand, and Charity fell silent as if gagged. Not content with corrupting and polluting the minds of the wizarding children, last week Professor Burbridge wrote an impression, impassioned defense of... 
Mud was in the Daily Prophet. Wizard, she says, must accept those thieves of knowledge and magic. The dwindling of pure bloods is, says, Professor Burbarch is most desirable circumstances. She would all have us mate with muggles, or no doubt werewolves. Nobody laughed this time. There was no mistaking the anger and concept in Voldemort's voice. For the third time, Trudy Burbarch revolved to face Snape. Tears were pouring from her eyes into her hair. Snape looked back at her again, quite impassive as she turned away slowly from him again. Avada Kedavra! A flash of green light illuminated every corner of the room. Every corner of the room. Trudy fell with a resounding crash onto the table below, which trembled and creaked. Several of the Death Eaters looked back in their chairs. Draco fell out of his own onto the floor. Dinanagini, said Voldemort softly, and the great snake swayed and slithered from his shoulders onto the polished wood. Okay, guys. So, if you don't know why that chapter is important to me, it tells a lot of stuff in the story. It tells me that that there's a lot of important stuff in your life. And whether it be school, whether it be gaming, whether it be reading, or painting, or anything else, you shouldn't throw your stuff away. That's what that chapter gave out to me as I was reading it. That's why you shouldn't just throw your stuff away as if you're like, well, this isn't my hobby anymore. You should keep, keep on doing what you're trying to do. Because in life, that's amazing. Come on, please. Just say one more thing. You are amazing. And this, myself, myself, is the one and only true self. So, if you want to explain why that chapter stood out to me, send me a voice message on Anchor. Yep. Or yeah. Or send me a... Tell me at school. Yeah, so mostly just send a voice message on Anchor on your phone or stuff like that. So, yeah. Bye.